Good morning, everybody. So good to see you today. So glad to be in worship with you. I uh, want to encourage you to open your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. We're going to be there together today. And, um, you know, tis the season for making goals and uh, hoping we reach them past the second or third week, right? You know what I'm talking about. For those of us that want to go work out or do whatever it is we think we should do, and two or three weeks later, the gyms are empty and everybody's wasting their money. And so we're not going to do that this year, right? So wherever it is that you're making goals to be or do, whatever you think you have set goals for you to do, uh, we're not going to talk exactly about goals today, uh, but I do want to do what we do during this season. Usually, the, the week or so after Christmas, we begin to take account for all the things we should have done in the past year, all the things we did do that we should have done differently, all the things maybe that we wish we would have done that we didn't, and all that kind of stuff. And we're also going to think about the things coming up in the future, what we're going to do differently this year. We're going to kind of put all that together into one time today as we talk. Uh, this is a two-week series called Turn the Page. Uh, and it's going to be one, just walking through two sections of Scripture right here together in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, I hope that as we read through the Scripture together in a minute, uh, that you will uh, be ready to deal with what comes. I think it's, it's not necessarily a difficult text, per se, to understand, but it's a difficult text to take in, in some ways. So I'm going to pray for us as we begin, and then I'd like for us just to dive right into the text. Now, our text for today is actually Philippians 3, 12 through 16, but to give some context, I'm going to go back and start reading in verse 7. So let me just pray for us, and we'll start in Philippians 3, 7 together. God, I know that even though it has been for some of us a holiday or almost a vacation time in, in some of our days the last few weeks, Lord, it has been uh, busy for most of us, I'm sure, and it is always hectic when uh, schedules converge and when we have to do things that are out of the norm. So I pray, Lord, that today you would help us to focus on what you want us to understand and on who you want us to be, and especially on who your son Jesus is and what he's done for us, and especially in that and what he's done for us on the cross. Lord, would you work in our hearts and would you clear our minds and our thoughts that we might focus in on what you have for us today, that we might walk out of here different and looking more like Jesus, your son. For Lord, you alone can make those kind of changes. and You alone can fulfill those kind of causes in us. So help us, Lord. Help us that we might give you the glory and might make much of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name I ask and pray these things. Amen. Let's uh, look together and just start reading in verse 7, Philippians 3, verse 7. Let me remind you a few things as we start to go. Paul is writing to the, the people of Philippi, and he is uh, writing to the church there, and he's writing a letter from prison. Uh, this is a letter. He's not sure what's going to happen to him at this point. He trusts in, he's trusting in the Lord, and he's kind of recounting a few things just before this particular text. Uh, he's talking about, he encourages them, actually, verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, talking about watching out for certain people. And then he gets on a little further, and he talks about how these people have uh, taken pride in themselves. He begins to recount all the things that he could take pride in, that he was of the best of the best genealogies, that he was of the right tribe, of the right family, that he had the right upbringing, that he had the right education, that he had the, the best upbringing in the education world, that he was one of the foremost religious leaders, that he was looked at as one of the top 
leaders, up-and-coming young leaders in the Sanhedrin and in the, in, the, in the leaders of the religious day there. And he really was that guy. Uh, in fact, uh, when we see it where Stephen in the book of Acts is about to be stoned, all the people take their jackets off and they lay them at the, at the feet of Saul, who is, becomes Paul later when he becomes a Christian. And that's saying to him that we do this in honor of you, our leader. Okay? So he is a leader and all known throughout Jerusalem and Israel that he's a top leader, right? And he's saying all those things, and you get to verse 7. This is after he's been a convert now. He's been converted to understand who Jesus is. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and he had a life-changing event. And in verse 7, he begins to talk about those things that used to be held so high in his life and in the eyes of others. In verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had in those things... I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, he says, all the accolades, all the education, all the prestige, all the knowledge, all the schooling, all, the, all those things, I count them as loss. And what does he say? Why does he do that? That's, that's a crazy statement to make, right? It's like you walking in after spending all that money on college that you might still be paying off, right? Or, or maybe you're paying off your kid's college or your grandkid's college now, whatever it is. You're, you're doing, and for them to walk in and say, you know what? All that was crud, right? Or that great job I got, junk. All that schooling, all that knowledge, all that upbringing, all that genealogy, my family line, nothing, Right? Why would he say that? He tells us why. He says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, Christ is so worthwhile, that he is so valuable, that he means so much, that he is so much greater than all those things put together, that all those things, it's nothing to me anymore. It's nothing. In fact, he goes on. He says, for his, that's in verse 8, sorry. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of, Christ, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And now he says, I count them as rubbish. The, the Greek word isn't really translated well as rubbish. You want the true meaning? He means dung, to put it nicely. I count that as a pile of manure. Right? That's how good it is. He says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In other words, that I might have Jesus... And be found in his family, that I might be found in his sacrifice, that I was represented there on the cross, that he paid for my sins, that I might have him. All this other stuff is like trash or dung. They're huge statements. It says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's the reason why, again, even deeper. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, listen to this, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words, I, I give all this up so that I may have this, this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And everybody's like, yeah, I want to know that. And he says, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, those are just extreme statements. We'd all agree, I'm sure. Extreme. And then he wants to reassure us that he's not some superhero, right? Look at verse 12. This is where our main text picks up for today. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now I'm going to back up and start walking through some of this for us. Before I do, I want to kind of give you the overarching statement, and then I'm going to unpack it with two kind of subpoints to this throughout our time today. But if you're going to write anything down today, if you're taking notes, here's your one statement that we'll unpack the rest of the time we're here together. That I think is the statement that Paul is saying to the Philippians that he was inspired by God to say to them, and we know the word is not about us, but it's to us even now. So he is pinned down here through the leading of the Holy Spirit so that he might speak to us these same knowledgeable words. And this is what I think he's saying, to put it in simple words. He's telling us we must press on to make Jesus our own. We must press on to make Jesus our own. That sounds kind of simple and kind of ethereal, so we're going to unpack that, all right? You must press on to make Jesus your own. What does that even mean? Let's, let's just let the text speak for us. Before we do, let me just go back to verse 12 and see why does he even say that. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. That's good to know, right? None of us need to feel bad that we're not perfect in some ways, right? Like, if even Paul would say it, then good, right? It's all right. But I press on. So even though I'm not perfect, I press on to make it my own. Now, what is the it he's talking about? He's talking about all that stuff before where he says that he counted everything as lost for the sake of having Christ, of being in him, having the power of his resurrection, having the, the, the sufferings that we'd have, even to share in his death that I might have Jesus. So he says, I press on to make it, those things, him, Jesus, my own. Because, why would he do that? He tells us, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, this is beautiful because everything for Paul, we like to get riled up, but Paul's so smart, and he is a smart guy. He was a smart guy. He's so, such a great writer, and he wrote so eloquently. And yes, he does all that, even though he says, I don't write to you with eloquent words. I don't preach to you with eloquent words. When you read Romans, you're like, this guy was a brainiac, right? The Holy Spirit could draw a, crooked line, a straight line with a crooked stick anybody, with anybody, right? But other guys don't sound that in-depth in some of the New Testament writings. He was a really smart guy. But what did he always do? He brought everything back to the gospel of Jesus. Everything. We never get away from the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified and him resurrected for us. Never get away. Everything always, Old Testament always points to the coming of the Christ for that. Everything in the New Testament points back to the fact that Christ came and lived perfectly. Fully God became fully man to live perfectly the life we could not live, to then die the death that we all deserve for our rebellion against God, endured all the wrath that we deserve because of that rebellion and sinfulness so that we could then be liberated from that as he died the death and paid the price then then he rose again in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell so that we might be brought into the family of God. Everything Paul talks about comes back to that. You go look at his letter to the Ephesians. He's talking about how do you love your wife? Well, you love her like Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. That's how you do it, guys, right? Children, how do you, how do you love your parents? Well, you obey them. Points back to the gospel. Every time it's all kind of pointing back to Jesus. How do you do it? Wives, how do you love your You submit to your husband is, is the Christ, as the church submits to Christ. It's all about the gospel. It's all about how it all fits together. And it's these simple things about the gospel that have depths that we can never mind fully in our lifetime. 
right? But these things always come back to the gospel for him. And here it's no different. Look, verse 12 again. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. He's saying, I do all this not because I want to be a good person, not because I think I can earn it. Look, I'm still not even getting there. I've been doing it for a long time, right? But I do it because he first did it for me. I do this because he first pressed on for me because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So what does he say about that then? Look, he reiterates, just in case we're not clear and we think he's like superhero status. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. Right? Thank you, Lord, for making it clear. He goes on and does this, though. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. We're going to pause on these words for a minute. This is one of the two things. Now, just so you know, the, the, look, we won't pause. Let's read on for a second. Let me show it to you. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the main statement there, the verb that drives everything, is that I press on toward the goal of the upward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the main part. But how he does that, he gives right before that in these two participle phrases. I know you English, non-English people are just like zoning out. Come back. So what he's saying is this is how you do it. He said, how do I press on? Here's how you do it. He says it right here in the beginning of the statement. He says, but one thing I do, first of all, forgetting what lies behind. Okay, so I'm going to give you something to, some wording to hang on. I'll put it like this. He's basically saying, leave the past in the past. Leave the past in the past. We're coming up to the end of the year. Many of us are spending a lot of time figuring out what we did wrong, how we could do it differently. I kind of don't work that way. I'm always kind of in the present moment thinking about where I'm going. I don't think much about the past. My wife talks about the past a lot. It helps me to like re-go through that stuff when I need to. Uh, I just, my brain doesn't work. That's the kind of personality I am. Somebody, who, who in here is like that? Okay, yeah, see, I don't dwell much on the past. We're kind of done with that. I can't really change much about the future right now. So what I do right here and now is kind of where I stay. Some of you are all about the future. What's going to happen next? How's that going to go down? How am I going to plan for that? Some of you are all stuck over here in the past. You're worried about the guilt and the shame of all that stuff. We're going to talk about all this today. Right now, we're talking about the past. Leave the past in the past. We talk about it a few ways for us. Some of you have done things in the past year. Some of you have done things that happened years ago. Sins that you've committed, things you've done you shouldn't have done, things you should have done that you didn't do, things that happened to you because of sin. And I'm telling you now that you think sometimes that you can't let that go and it keeps coming back up on you. And brothers and sisters, you need to let that go because the blood of Christ paid the price for that sin and it has been washed away by the powerful working of God in the person of Jesus on the cross for you. It is gone. You don't have to hold on to it anymore. In fact, when you hold on to that, if you hold on and say, I can't let it go, I need to suffer some more, you're saying the blood of Christ is not sufficient for that. You're saying his sacrifice was not really enough for that sin. And that's basically saying you don't believe the gospel in that moment. I'm saying right now, take it to the feet of Jesus and let it go. Say, this is yours. You paid for it on the cross. It's done. It's over. It's yours. And when the enemy brings it back up, and when your conscience brings it back up, You don't rebuke the enemy or your conscience. You run to Jesus. You say, God, remind me. Please remind me of what you did for me on the cross. Remind me. Bring it to my mind. Push it into my heart and help me to believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Help me to believe. And let him wash that away from me. Let it go. Let it be in the past. 
the sin and the shame for all the things you've done. Look, Jesus paid the price for the sin and he despised the shame. So the scriptures say that he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame of the cross. He despised the shame for you so you don't have to despise it anymore. He took it from you on the cross. Let it be gone. He took it from you. The hurts that you've gone through, the pains that you've suffered in this last year, some of you have lost people that you love, some of you have gone through news that you've received that you never wanted to hear, some of you have gone through things where people turned their back on you or they didn't do for you what you hoped they would do, they didn't live up to the standard you hoped they would live up to, and it's hurt your heart, it's hurt your soul, you're destroyed inside in some ways, maybe it's caused bitterness, and I'm telling you today, you got give that over and let it go. Jesus hurt enough on the cross for all of it. He endured not just physical pain, not just emotional pain from separation from his friends abandoning him, which they did, but the pain of the father turning his eyes away from the son in love and pouring out all his wrath on the son who never deserved it. He's gone through the hurt for you. Give it over to Jesus. Turn him. When that hurt comes upon you again, run to the Lord. Cast it on him, for his burden is light. Give it over. Let the past be in the past. Now, some of that stuff is good news to hear. Amen? Now, here's some of the hard stuff to hear. Are you ready? It's toe-step in time for you uh, old-time Southern Baptists. You ready? Thank you. <laughs> One of you asked for it, so you're all going to get it. Not only do we need to let things stay in the past that were hurtful and hard and difficult and, and, and painful and shameful and brought guilt and still brings it on. So you leave that in the past. Listen, many of us have done things in this past year that we're really proud of. We've done things in this past year that we feel like, man, I have come a long way. We, we even couch it in terms of like, man, the Lord has done some great things. Like, I don't struggle with that sin anymore. I don't do this thing anymore that I used to do all the time. Man, it's so good. I've really moved ahead, right? Those things are good. And they are good. If the Lord's worked in you and changed you and made you like abandon a sin that you struggled with for years, and maybe you just have seen people differently with the eyes of love of Christ, and you, those are good things. But I'm telling you right now, what he's saying is leave it in the past. That's what's done. Hey, don't carry that stuff with you. You can't live in the past over what God's done in the past and live like that's enough or that that's good. You'll never earn your way. It's enough because Jesus paid for everything on the cross. That's what's enough right? What, what, what he's saying here is you can't run the race that way. Look, he puts it in race language. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call in, of God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's, here's what that means. He's giving race language to people that would have understood the Olympic games back then, the Greco-Roman games, and, and they would have thought about it like this. When you're running the race, the length of a stadia, Okay, stadium, you're running that length, you, you know, if you're in a full-out sprint, it's about 607 feet, give or take, unless you're in, in Ephesus, it'll be more, okay? 607 feet back in this time. And if you're running full speed, trying to beat other people, the first thing you got to realize is you never take your eyes off the goal and you never look back. Because if you've ever ran and raced anybody, when do they pass you? If they're not just blazing fast, they pass you when you turn around to look and see what's going on. Right? The tortoise, and the, the tortoise and the hare, right? You know the story. That's how it works. It's the same here. So you can't run the race effectively if you're not, you can't get to the goal if you don't keep your eye on the goal. You can't be looking back over your shoulder. There's no time for that. 
We're in the right now. You're moving this way. Don't keep looking back. Leave the past in the past. Your victories, your successes, as great as they are, I'm not saying forget them totally. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, the scriptures show us time and time again in the Old Testament where the people would see what God did and they would be told even by God to erect an altar of sorts that when people would pass by, they would remember what God had done, right? So yeah, we should, we should celebrate what God has done. And when we see those things, we celebrate him. Not what we've done, right? But what he's done. Not even just through us, but to his glory so that they would praise him, right? But what he's saying is that that lies in the past. So if you really want to press on to Christ, if you want to press on, he says, this is how you do it. He says, forgetting what lies behind. Listen, brothers and sisters, none of us have arrived. Amen? Right? None of us have arrived. None of us have gotten there. None of us will do it before the end comes for us. We never get through the work that we have to do. Now listen, hear me right. Jesus paid all the price. He did all the work necessary to save us, but we still have work to do in living that out for his glory because we love him because he first loved us by dying on the cross for us. So now we give our lives to him, and he has a mission for us. We don't get to pick our purpose. He's got a mission for us. He says he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to glorify the Father. That's what we're here to do. Everything else is a part of doing that. He says love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're here to do. We have a mission. He's given it to us, right? And we have work to do. There are people that don't know him. There's glory not being received, right? Glory not being given. We have a mission. We need to work. We have things to do. But let me tell you right here, this is where we fall in. And people say a lot of times that familiarity breeds contempt. I might argue, and I think that's even as big or more so, that complacency breeds contempt. That when you become complacent and you feel like you've kind of arrived, that's when bitterness and contempt begins to, to kind of come in on you. So if you feel like you've got a little contempt for something that's going on around you, or a little bit of, uh, a little bit of bitterness for somebody not doing what you think they should do, or for some people not living out the way you think they should live out, and those kind of things, probably that's because you've slowed down long enough to look back and see what other people are doing. Or maybe realizing that you did such a great job back here, why aren't they doing that, right? And that's not how you press into Christ. That's pressing into self then. That's becoming self-centered right? In fact, we say it to you in a corporate way. Church, complacency will kill our church. If we are ever satisfied with where we are, we will die. Now, it may take years or even decades to do it, but we will die. I have worked with, worked alongside, worked in churches where complacency has been a major issue. And, And those things have to be changed or church will die. You see it because they'll start being more people of an older age group and not of a younger age group. You'll start seeing it where younger people don't want to come to things that older people like to come to, and people don't seem to care about that. You'll see it where people that have always been church don't really care that the unchurched people aren't coming, no matter what age they are. You'll see that because everybody seems to be okay that people don't feel welcome when they come because they don't even notice it because it's all complacency. Look, we've kind of got where we like it. If you feel like something is, is, is not an issue of that, they just question, what would we do if we changed X, Y, Z? Would that make me upset? Maybe so. Maybe that's a complacency issue. Maybe not. But we got to start thinking through, what are the things that we might be complacent about? Where do we need to keep moving forward and not be satisfied with what's been? There's a lot of those things. It's hard to spot them. We'll get to how to work on that in a minute. But here's what we need to do, church. Let me put it in a different way. Some of us, talk, some of you are guests with us today. I'm not really talking to you right now, but you're welcome into the conversation. 
I'm going to talk to our faith family for just a minute that's been here for a while. If you've been here for over three or four months, I've been here four months at the end of this month, like right now, I've been here four months. And I'm telling you, the people that have been here for the last year to year and a half have gone through a lot of ups and downs through the trials of not having a pastor for a while, lead pastor for a while, and for having to transition, all the things that go on. You know what I'm talking about. There's been ups and downs. There's been, you know, there's always a little drama in those times. There's always a little bit of heartache in some areas. There's always a little bit of excitement in some areas. There's always some of that stuff. Let me tell you, folks, I'm here to tell you because I love you and because God has called me to be here as one of you in this faith family, that he's telling us in this text, he says this, look, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. That's what I'm saying too. But I press on to make it my own, to make Christ my own, because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I made it my own. Hear me right. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. That's done. It's done. We have to leave any bitterness we have behind. We have to leave any hurts we have behind. If, if we don't give it over to the Lord and say, hey, that's yours, that's not mine anymore, then we're not pressing on with Christ as we should. Don't, don't hold any little grudges that we might have. I'm not saying they're not, like they weren't legit. I'm just saying don't hold them, right? Don't hold any extra excitement over something that happened there and say, man, that was so good there. I wish we could get back to there. Whether it was 120 years ago at the start of this church, which none of us were there, right? Right? Or if it was the last 40 years, the last 20 years, the last 20 months, or the last two months. We can't hold on to that. We are, we are immortal beings. You recognize that, right? Our body will die and be resurrected. For destruction for eternity or for life for eternity. One of the two. Okay, so we begin, though, at a point. God is the only one who has been infinite before and infinite forever after. We, however, had a starting point when mommy and daddy came together and created a zygote, right? (laughs) We uh, were the first part of being a human being. God implanted a soul somewhere in that mix, and now we're brought into the family of God uh, through hearing the gospel, and we're a part of that from that point forward. We will always be, if you believe in Jesus, and he's your Savior, you will always be his. Amen, right? Right? We know those things to be true. Here, here's the, the problem, though, is that we can't ever get the time back that we've already wasted or spent even in good things, can we? From the moment you're born, you begin to move towards death. Unless the Lord Jesus comes back, and please, Lord, come. Please, take away all these things that we can just enjoy you, right? But in the meantime, we begin to move towards death. And I can't go back last year or last decade or 30 years. I can't go back any of those time frames and bring back in and change things. There's no more of that. So put it down. We can't do it. All the good, all the bad. Some of you are still trying to live out your glory days. Amen? There's a movie that I like a lot. My wife doesn't like it too much. It's called Napoleon Dynamite. If you've seen it, in this movie, uh, the main character is a high school student, and um, it's really funny, but it's really not funny the first time you watch it. It's the second time you watch it, it gets really funny. Okay? So if you go to watch it, don't blame me if you don't like it the first time. Watch it twice. Probably don't watch it at all. I don't even know. It's been a long time. But anyway, the point of what I'm trying to say is that he's got an uncle and his uncle that, he, that rolls up to help out when uh, this guy's guardian leaves, uh, his uncle rolls up, and all he wants to do is set his camera up and throw footballs and remember the glory days. Man, if I'd have just been able to get in the game at that last game in high school, I'd have made it. I'd be a pro football player, you know? And he's living in the days of his high school glory days. Some of you know what I'm talking about, exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't have glory days in high school. 
So I don't know what that's like in that way. I have other days I look back on as kind of glory days, I guess. But what I'm saying is those are gone. There's no more getting that back. We got to snap out of it. Church as a body, we got to snap out. Those are great days. God has done great things. I know I've heard the history. I've lived. I was here. I grew up here. I know about 12th Street. And I want to hear more. I've heard so many good stories in the last four months learning about this faith family. And I love it. I'm so excited what God has done in the past. But that stuff's been done in the past. And now we got to keep moving forward. And there are people that weren't born back then that are born now that need Jesus. And there are people that we couldn't have reached back then that we need to reach now for Jesus. There are people that we couldn't have reached now maybe that they could have reached back then. It doesn't matter. We're now. And we've got to reach them for Jesus. Now's the time. Now's the time. Now's the time. We've got to leave the past in the past. So brothers and sisters, I encourage us to press on. Leave the past in the past and press on to make Jesus our own. That's what we've got to do. I mean, that word press, by the way, this is, if you looked it up and you got real nerdy and looked in the Greek dictionary, no, no offense, I do it too. In the Greek dictionaries, you would see it say, to move rapidly and decisively toward an objective. That's what it means to press on in this actual term. To not, not just to move toward something hard, it means to move rapidly and decisively toward an objective. To hasten, to run, to press on. So look, look at verse 13 again, the second part. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Listen, strain forward, he's saying, for your future glory. If you write notes down, that's the one. Strain forward for your future glory. Having Jesus and being found in him. That's our future glory. Having Jesus and being found, getting to have him forever with nothing in between. All the joy, none of the heartache. When he comes back, he's removing all the pain, all the sorrow, all the weeping. We get to enjoy him fully. Man, Lord, would you come back so we can have it now? That we get to have him without anything hindering us, with no sin taking our hearts off of the Lord, with, with no hate or despising and no shame and no guilt keeping us from wanting to enter into the presence of the Lord and enjoy him fully. That's what he's going to bring back. That future glory that we get to have. Straining ahead to get that future glory. Knowing that Jesus paid the way on the cross. But we're fighting to move forward to get there. To get there. To keep loving him and moving forward towards him. Straining forward. That means to exert oneself to the uttermost degree. Fully. Some of you like to run. We've talked about this before. If you chase me, I'll run if you have something scary in your hand. But I don't run very often unless my kids are running somewhere, and I do chase them. And I, like, I used to like to run a lot, and uh, then I hurt myself because I ate too much food and tried to run still. <laughs> Straining is not fun. It's not easy. It's never intended to be. Okay, straining is not fun. It's not easy, but we're told to strain forward. You know why? Because it's hard work. It's hard work. It's definitely hard. None of us are too old. I feel old. I've got posterior tibial tendonitis in my right foot. Swells up, gets crazy. I can't do anything. I like hate taking medicine, and I have to take something for that. It's crazy, right? I, I, I don't sleep good sometimes for things. I mean, I'm just getting whatever. But none of us are too old. You have been made for a purpose. That purpose is to enjoy God and be a part of his work here in this place. And if he puts you in this faith family, he's got you here for a reason. And he's not done. He's not done with you. No matter how old you are, no matter how far gone you think you might be, even spiritually. You think, well, he doesn't want me. I've done X, Y, Z. 
He knew that was going to come. He paid the price for that on the cross. If you'll put your hope and faith in Jesus, it's gone. It's covered. You're right back with him like the prodigal son who came running up to his dad ready to explain everything away and repent, repent. And his dad just hugged him and kissed him and clothed him and had a party. That's the way it works for you and me. That's such a good thing, right? We don't have to explain away what we've done. The Lord knows he's paid the price for it. It's good. Just get in here. Let's have fun. Let's do it. Let's participate. Let's enjoy the Father. Let's do those things. Strain forward, though, is fighting off all that junk. And it's hard to do. But let me tell you, if the all-powerful God his Holy Spirit, the all-powerful Holy Spirit, dwells within you because you are His, then there is nothing that cannot be done in you and through you. Not the same God who spoke and the world came into being. The same God who spoke and mountains rose up out of the sea. The same God who speaks and it shakes the ground. Nothing. There's nothing that cannot be done. You are never too old. You are never too far. It's time to get back in the game. We've got to get back in the game. That leads me to the next part of this. Look, if you feel like you don't have any room to move, there's nothing you need to do, then here's what verse 15 tells us. Look, let those of us who are mature think this way, what all he's been saying, right? And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. In other words, if you think you're mature and you've kind of hit the mark, that kind of shows you're not mature and you need to keep praying the Lord will reveal those areas to you because he'll make it real. There's always room for growth. None of us looks like, nobody in this room, nobody in any of the churches in our area or around the U.S. or anywhere in the world can walk down the street and people go, oh, Jesus-like. It would never happen. We're not there. They may see it in some things, but it's not enough. We're not ever going to get there on this side of eternity until God comes back and removes all the junk, and then we'll be glorified with the Lord. So in that sense, we need to earnestly pray for God to reveal our blind spots. And here's something else. New year, right? New goals. We can make goals all day long. You will. You'll make goals financially. You'll make goals physically. You'll make goals maybe uh, in a dietary way. You'll make goals in an emotional way. You'll make goals in relational ways. But are you going to make goals for how you're going to pursue Jesus more this year? Are you going to make those kind of goals? here's how these things were. I'm going to give you a little saying that I like to remember because I don't do well at making plans. I kind of hit on the run sometimes, a lot of the time. Be aware of that. I try to make plans better. I'm learning as I get older, right? But here's, if you plan the work and you work the plan, the plan will work. If you don't make a plan, it's not going to work. I'll say it again. If you plan the work and work the plan, the plan will work. But if you don't make a plan, it's never going to work. And a plan instituted right now that's not perfect is always better than the next day's plan, which might be perfect. It's always better to do it today and institute it today. Here's what I'm asking you. What if you took, how would your life look different? How would your affections for the Lord change if you spent two more minutes this year every day, two more minutes praying than you did the last year every day? For some of you, you're like, well, that'd be easy because I didn't pray every day. Just two minutes. Got it. That's good. Leave it in the past. You didn't do it. That's okay. Move forward. Run to the Lord. Give him two more minutes of your time. What would it look like if you pursued him for two more minutes, just two more minutes than what you did last year in your time of reading scripture to understand him better, to, to chase after him, to, to figure out what he loves and what he doesn't and what he wants for you and what he wants for others. Just two more minutes a day. Man, what if you had nothing started? You say, just two minutes a week, I'm going to start there. Just go by two. It could change everything, right? But if you never have a plan, you're never going to have a plan that works. You've got to 
to work a plan because you made a plan. Make a plan. And let me say this too, right? Verse 16, he goes on and says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see, really we've attained nothing. <laughs> we've not obtained anything by our own work. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He has extended the offer of grace to us if we would just turn to him and love him because he first loved us. So if, if he does that for us, we've not really attained it except we've received Jesus and his glorious grace. If you've ever just hoped in Jesus, you've received that from him, and so you've attained Jesus. That's what you've attained. So just look at it again that, that way. Look at verse 16 again. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Put that in context. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. I'm waiting for him to come back. I'm straining for the goal. And he goes on and says, let those who are mature think this way. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. But listen, only let us hold true to what we have attained. All you've got and all you need is Jesus. Hold on to him and don't let go. And when your eyes come away, turn them back to him and hold on to him. And you can't hold on to him and all this junk back here. You've got to drop the baggage at the door and hold on to Jesus. He's either enough or he's not. He's either enough or he's not. Let the past be in the past. Straight forward to the goal and hold on to Jesus. Just hold on to Jesus. And I'm going to say this last little bit here because it's in here, man. It's just implicitly in here. Time is of the essence. We've already talked about it a little bit. Time is of the essence. Time is running out. Maybe not for you because you know Jesus. But it's running out for others that don't know Jesus. And I believe in a sovereign God who will save anybody he's going to save. But you know how he chooses to do it? Through the church is how he chooses to do it. So you can say, well, he's going to save them. He's going to save them. Yes, that's true. But he chooses to use the church to do it. And if you're a part of this faith family, then maybe you're the one he's going to use to do that. And I can tell you, if you're looking for joy, there's no greater joy than to be right in the middle of God working in someone's life where he brings them from death to life. There is none. There is none. Time is of the essence. That word press again, to press on, to move rapidly and decisively toward an object. We have to be decided and be rapid. Urgency is necessary. You may say, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go that fast. I... Press on, urgently, rapidly, decisively. We've got to move. People are dying. People are spending eternity in hell. And yes, 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 maybe it's not your fault. But boy, well, can we try? I was going to bring it in, but I didn't it could take too long. I think I could tell it faster. Schindler's List, do you know, do you know the movie? At the very end of the movie, Schindler walks out. Go home and watch if you have at least the last like, few minutes. At the very end, he walks out because the Allied forces are coming in. Now, he's the guy that's been saving a bunch of Jewish folks by basically saying, hey, I need these Jews to work my factory. He's a Nazi that's saving Jews. He brings them in, and at the end, he walks out because he's trying to get out of there before the Allied forces come in. The people want him to go because they don't want this guy that saved them to, to die or to be thrown in prison, right? So he's going out to go get into his car, and he walks out, and all 1,100 Jews are there that he had in his factory working. And he walks out, and the leader of the Jewish people walks up to him, and he gives him a ring. And I can't remember exactly the, 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 the translation, but it's a Jewish insignia on, inside the ring that basically says, uh, because you saved one, you saved all, in that sense. And he said, you saved 1,100 people. 
And Schindler drops the ring because he's so overwhelmed. And he scrambles to find the ring, and he pulls it up. He begins crying. And he, and he turns to that man, and he says, but God, I can save more. I can, I can save more. But my car, I could have I got seven more people for that car. Why didn't I sell my car? And his, his, his thing on his lapel, he says, this is gold. I could have got two more people, at least one more person. I could have saved more. I know that when we go to heaven, we're not going to be looking back on this and be rejoicing in the presence of the Lord, but there'll be a moment probably at the end of our lives where we'll go, I could have done more for you, Lord. And he's going to say, I love you. Come to me if you're his. But you're going to think, I could have done more. Time is of the essence, church. We've got to get out of the past. We've got to think, what's God want us to do right now? And we've got to jump in. And here's what he wants us to do. Luke 19, 10, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Acts 26, 16 through 18, Paul has just been converted. God just met him on the road to Damascus, and he rises him up after taking the scales off his eyes when he was blinded by the glory of the Lord. And he says, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He says, your mission is to go and give people me. That's what Jesus tells them. Go and give people me so they may know me and be with me forever. And Paul later on in life, he writes to the, what I call the church gone wild, 1 Corinthians, right? Crazy church. They're just all over the place. And this is what he says to them. They're, they're just reveling in their freedom, right? And the wrong idea of it. And he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Look, we look at that and go, well, that's Paul. No, that's Jesus. You realize Jesus created everything and it was perfect. People entered the world and it went to crud because sin entered because of choice of rebellion. We're the reason why the world went to pot, okay? That's the, we're the reason. If Jesus then could have left it be. He could have said, that's it. That's enough. It's, it's done. You jacked it up. You're going to suffer the consequences. But what did he do? He became a servant to every single one of us. The one who created all things stepped out of eternity into his creation and became one of us so that he could walk with us and live the life that we could never live, so he would die the death that we deserve, so he would endure the wrath that only we deserve as a rebel. And then that he would then rise in victory, the only one who could beat death, death, the devil, Satan, sin, so that we could be brought into the family of God. He became the servant. He was free from all, but he became a servant to all. Paul's imitating Jesus. We've got to imitate Paul and Jesus. We're Christians like Christ, Right? He says, for though I'm free from all, but made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Man, if that would be our prayer, if that would be our actions, if that would be our lives, how would we turn this world upside down in Etowah County? How would we change when we see lives come to faith and be turned from death to life for all of eternity?
It would change everything. We gotta let go of the past. And we gotta press on, straining, straining for the future glory of Christ and holding on to Jesus. Holding on to Jesus. Listen, church, your glory days of the past have passed. But the future is brighter than we could ever imagine. Because it is surrounded with the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. It is not over. It will never be over until he comes back. Let us get into the fight. Let us pray for God to reveal to us where we need to shift and change and become his and be on his mission for his glory, for our joy with him. I'm going to pray for us now. Lord, would you help us? Lord, help us to let go of the past, to put the things in the past in the past and let it be there. For Lord, they are, some of them are great things that you have done. Some of them are great things that you have worked in us and through us as a church, as individuals. But Lord, now is the time to be here and now and to strain forward for the goal that is the upper call of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, help us just to hold on to Jesus, for we cannot, we are weak, but you are strong. And as we lean into your strength in Jesus, we are bound up and we are made to be strong, Lord. Help us to press in you. Lord, take away the things that hinder us. Draw us into you. Give us a heart to understand the love you have for us that sent Jesus. That we might love you back the same and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Lord, I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.